Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm your host. And I'm back today with the second part of my interview with Laura Brotherson. We had to break this one into two pieces because it was just getting so long. She is going over a bunch of different things around healthy sexuality, and, and we're just covering so much ground. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, which was items one through 10 of her 20-item comparison of healthy sex versus unhealthy sex, then you'll want to go back and listen to that because we're going to do 11 through 20 in this episode. And I'll just say really quickly why we're doing this episode. Laura Brotherson is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's a certified sex therapist. And she specializes in helping people develop what she calls a sextraordinary marriage and helping people really learn marital fulfillment through healthy sex. And there's so much sexual miseducation out there. We don't even realize that we're being miseducated half the time. When you watch movies, listen to music, read magazines, and just spend any time in the world of media or really just around people you know, who are also consuming that media, the conversations, the emphasis, there's going to be so much misinformation and beliefs that come from all these different sources. And they really just make people feel worse about their bodies, feel like they have to be a performance. There's a lot of wrong information about what makes sex a healthy thing in a committed relationship, in a marriage. And Laura's here to help us learn the difference between what's unhealthy and what's healthy. And even though everybody gets to develop their own sexual style and figure out what works for them, this is more about attitudes, beliefs, and things that actually create more harm when they're not addressed. And so I think you'll find that, for example, in pornography or in you know, sexual acting out behaviors and so on, those are based around lust. They're based around using other people, right? So just even just in that small way, you'll see, okay, those are unhealthy. And then the healthy version of that would look like respect and, you know, consent, things like that, right? So in this episode, she's going to go through the comparisons of what's healthy, what's not healthy. And if you've struggled with pornography in your life, if you've lived with somebody who struggled with pornography, or you've been, like you've been married to or been in a sexual relationship with somebody who struggled with sexual addiction, you know what it's like to live with somebody or to, or to live with yourself when there's been this sexual miseducation. It's painful and it's hurtful and it, something just feels wrong. It feels off. And Laura and I in this episode and previous episode are wanting people to get good information so that they can experience the true fulfillment and peace and connection that comes from healthy sexuality and healthy sexual uh, relationships in your, in your marriage. So I'm excited that Laura jumped in here to join me on these couple of episodes. And this is just the beginning. If you really want to learn more information, I've put links to all of her handouts books and other resources in the show notes for both episodes. And she's super easy to find online and she's very active on social media and just putting out tons of great information. So go check her out and I'll, I'll make sure to remind you about that at the end of the podcast. So without further ado, let me jump right into part two 
of my interview with Laura Brotherson. Okay, well, welcome back to the second part. Laura, good to have you back. Wonderful to be here. Okay, so like I said before, if you haven't listened to part one, you got to listen to the first 10 characteristics of healthy sexuality and unhealthy sexuality. We're really emphasizing what healthy looks like because we spend so much time talking about what doesn't work. We really want to make sure people understand what they're supposed to do in terms of creating a healthy, as you put it, Laura, sextraordinary marriage, which is super- It's <laughs> not a great term, It's Josh? great. I love it. It's super catchy. <laughs> <That's> so <great. laughs> and so, so we're going to dive right back in um, sure. without hesitation. We're going to go into number 11. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, let's just dive right in. Okay, so this is a great one. Men especially love this one. But number 11 is mutually agreeable variety, adventure, novelty, playfulness, and just that fun. The unhealthy version is either no variety, adventure, novelty, or playfulness, or forced or pressured variety, adventure, or playfulness. So this is a big one because men especially, this is so important for our long-term marriages. I do a lot of these KSL Studio 5 shows, as you know, uh, little TV segments. And one of the times we talked about just how many long-term marriages fall apart because we don't keep some of that fun and novelty in it. And so that's part of sexual wholeness. We're talking about all of this is sexual wholeness that we're shooting for or building a blueprint for. And so we've got to have a way where we can have some of this adventure novelty in the mix without it being forced and pressured. Right. And this is where, like I talked about in the first episode we did together, this is where you have to be really careful with couples healing from a pornography betrayal. Right. Because so many times in the unhealthy sex they were having or he was bringing in, he was bringing in so much novelty and adventure and spicing things up because he was mm -hmm. looking at tons of porn or that bringing that in. Yeah. Or the wife felt like, well, I've got to fix our marriage and I've got to turn myself into a porn star. Yeah. And that's not what we're talking about here. No. We're not talking about Cosmo, you know, blow the roof off the house kind of stuff. Right. This is, right. This is about both people together, just including an element of play. Right. Yes, exactly. And that's why all of these other characteristics are so important yeah. as, as foundation and get to this. That's why my, my chapters in knowing her intimately on, on treats and teasing, they're way towards the back. And I'm like, don't even touch those. Don't lead chapters. with that. Yeah. Don't lead. Do with not that. lead with that. Yeah. And that that's just not the place to go. So yeah, for sure. So really quickly, I know we're trying to stay on schedule here, but I just have to ask you like, why do you think, why do you think there's a gender difference there? Like, why do men push for more of the variety playfulness? I'm just curious what your opinion is on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a little bit of a, a, a difference between the male testosterone that pushes for that. I think that's, that's kind of where that comes from. Whereas women are a little bit more wired for security and safety. And so that's, we kind of know that just in, in gender differences in, in relationships. So I think that's where it comes from. But, but again, where I can see what God was doing just to me in having to develop my own sexual wholeness I can see that he was like, Laura, you know what? You're great in a lot of ways. You know, you might not be super great in this little bit of adventure, a little bit of playfulness, a little bit of risk-taking, a little bit of, you know, some of that. And then when I learned that and I developed that, even if it wasn't natural for me, I become more whole. And God is all about wholeness in marriage. That's why marriage is the crowning jewel of his, you know, celestial kingdom is that, you know, to really learn oneness and wholeness is what we're here for is our work here. Yeah. I love that. Well, and yeah. And, and, and like, like you were saying, I mean, you know, historically, you know, more men than women were jumping in a ship going like, I wonder what's on the other side of that ocean, right? right? They're just right. like adventure, curiosity, risk, danger. 
and where women are like, I'll stay back here and keep things running. <laughs> we'll yeah. just do what works. And right? we love that. We right. love that about men, Jeff. We need to, this is why I, what I write in chapter right. one of my husband book that's I'm still working on, but just we need to validate how awesome our good, strong, masculine men are. And women need to be careful and society needs to be careful not to, not to demean that and not to diminish that because that's part of how God made men. Right. And we want to be respectful of that. Number okay? 12. Number 12, mutually fulfilling. We want to shoot for orgasm or other desired outcomes for both, just so we don't leave one behind versus the unhealthy would be self-gratifying. It's an orgasm for one. It's unenjoyable or unfulfilling for the spouse. And it results in resisting or resenting sex. So we're just shooting for, let's be attentive to both of us. This is why we often will put the, the wife's wiring and her desires first. And we have men kind of hold off and make sure that she gets taken care of first would be an example of that. Because it's a lot more difficult for women to have a climax than for most men. And so we've got to be attentive to that. And that would be part of what would create sexual wholeness. Right. Where in pornography, it's sex at another person's expense. Yeah. It's, it's, sure. it's so very one-sided. Yeah. Very yeah, one-sided. Sure. And so even if a woman, let's say, you know, she struggles to, to achieve orgasm. I mean, you, you cited a, a statistic in the first episode where you said 30% of women struggle to even have an orgasm of any kind. We're not Plus, even talking yeah. just, we're not even talking about just clitoral or like or, you know, vaginal, right? Like you're talking about like any. any type of orgasm at all. You're just saying like, mm-hmm. so if a, if a couple is dealing with something like that, where there's really a struggle to have it be mutually fulfilling, at least in an, in an orgasm context. And what would you say to those couples? <laughs> well, Jeff, funny you should ask, but that's why I created a book. Ah. <laughs> and literally, the Knowing Her Intimately yeah. book, Jeff, literally walks women, couples through the 12 areas that women get stuck when it comes to, you know, having, being able to have a, a sexually fulfilling relationship. Thoughts, talk, touch, time, transcendence, technique you know, uh, transition. These are 12 T words that cover every single nook and cranny that women and, and their husbands need to understand in order for her to embrace her full sexuality, have a mutually filling sexual experience. So I really made it as easy as I possibly could. It's also why I'm doing this live workshop, sexual wholeness, wholeness workshops for women. And then we'll be putting it into an online course so that I can walk couples through in an, in an, automated kind of way what I teach clients and they don't have to wait my nine months to get in to see me. Right. So it's doable. So that 30%, I mean, you're looking at that and you're saying, oh, that doesn't have to be like that. People can learn no. like this is, oh, it's absolutely. not just, oh, there's 30% that are just broken. So, oh, well, no. he'll just have his orgasm or no. I guess we'll just cuddle tonight. You're saying, no, no this yeah. can be learned. Yeah, it can be learned. And I don't want to put the pressure on because remember, women can be very fulfilled without an orgasm. It's not a required element. It's just, we don't want to throw it on the side and make it not even attended to. We want to shoot for it. I mean, we want to be attentive to it, but we need to be aware that for women, they can feel very connected. We can have connected sex and not have to have an orgasm every time because it's a lot more work for a woman. I have a whole section in my book where I talk about why women maybe don't want to as much as a man does, but it's very much a learned behavior Good sex is, is always a learned behavior. And yes, if somebody wants to learn that, it's very learnable. They just are going to have to do the work. You know, I had to do the same work. Yeah, fantastic. 
Okay. Number 13. 13. Open, honest, and vulnerable. So transparent and fully seen and fully seeing our spouse versus secretive, hidden, and withholding of our full self. So if we're, if we're secretive about sex, we're having sex kind of on our own, and that's kind of another separate item here. But if we're not putting our whole self into the sexual experience and our whole self into the sexual relationship, then that's not what I would, that's not what we want to shoot for. That's not sexual wholeness. That makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, secrets in any relationship are going to put up major walls and, and blocks and create, you know, a lack of trust. But but especially in this area where there might be hidden sexual behaviors, like you said, or I mean, I, I even see it with somebody who's not even transparent about what they like want or prefer during sex. Right. Right. And a lot of women, Jeff, just don't know. And that's why my Knowing Her Intimately book becomes such a, a helpful self-help sex therapy tool, because I walk through, you know, for example, use, you know, using what I call just a sexual self-discovery journal to even just start identifying I had a client just a couple of weeks ago and I said, okay, so to the wife, every time after you make love, I want you to start jotting down one thing that you liked and one thing that you didn't particularly like. And we just start even learning so that, because she would say things like, Laura, I don't even know what to tell him. He wants to be a good lover and he wants to be, make sure it's fulfilling for me, but I don't even know what I like. So we're just starting way back at step, you know, ground zero to figure out what we need to know. Yeah. And that's doable. Right. Okay. Right. That's awesome. Okay. Number 14. Number 14 is organic and spontaneous, a natural outgrowth, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, a natural outgrowth of a connected relationship. So it's a nurturing, a given or a shared experience versus the unhealthy would be more of a compulsive or an impulsive drive, a forced, a pressured, it's sex as a take, not as a give. And it's a, or a preoccupation or an obsessive focus on sex. So again, that healthy just comes out of that natural, warm connection that's already there. I talk about, you know, I have another really important diagram that I wish I could give to everybody like candy, but it's my fuel for female sexual. I love that one. Yeah. You know, and we can share that as well, but, but the gist of it is just, you know, if, you know, for women, sex, the first step of sex is, a, is a, we decide to, but it's built on if I feel connected. And so when a woman basically has to go from zero to 60 sexually, if we're living like a lot of our, the couples here, we're probably going to be listening to this episode. If they're living right now at like a minus 10 in their relationship, think about how far that wife has to go to get to a con- feeling of connection within lovemaking. Whereas if couples can do the work that I talk about where they live at a 40 emotionally on a zero to 60 scale, then they only have to get kind of from mommy mode into lovemaking mode instead of, okay, I kind of hate you. You were a jerk today. I don't know what to do with you. And you want to have sex with me and we're at minus 10. You see, there's a big difference in that kind of lovemaking. No, that's yeah, absolutely. And so, so when you talk about it being organic, you're really talking about that this is not that like much of a departure from how they already live, right? right? That sex is basically going to be just a little bit of a bump over from where they are. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna, mm-hmm. it's not going to feel like whiplash. It's not going to feel right. like they have to somehow reinvent themselves, pretend that there's somebody else or they live in a different relationship. <laughs> right, right. And think about it, Jeff. If, I, if, that, if wife has really embraced and owned her sexuality, 
then that isn't such a foreign territory because right. go back to the, the good girl syndrome that I kind of coined in chapter one of, and they were not ashamed. You know, if a, a woman just doesn't even have sex on her radar as a good or godly or appropriate thing kind of thing, then getting into a connected space with that kind of an, ex, an, an activity is just going to be foreign territory. Whereas if she's kind of embraced that she's a sexual being, if she nurtures some of those sexual thoughts and feelings, and, you know, saves them for tonight when she can be intimate with her husband after date night or whatever, then it's just, it's a natural outgrowth of a connected, positive relationship outside the bedroom. Right. Right. I love that. And so, that's why, and I really appreciate, by the way, I'm going to go back to this because I really, yeah, I really appreciate your validation for couples that are healing from betrayal where you're saying, you know, you know, a minus 10 or a minus a hundred or whatever, depending on how big the, <laughs> yeah. the betrayal is, right? Whatever scale you're mm-hmm. on, that to be gentle with yourself and recognize yeah. that like, if you don't want to have sex with your partner, that's okay. Because okay. there's so much other work that has to happen for you to feel safe and for you to feel yeah. like if we're talking organic, you know, using garden metaphors here, like the ground has been scorched. And so we're not scorched. even ready for harvest yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Right. Yeah. Go ahead. And Jeff, the thing is too, is that, you know, I've got couples that have done something that we, we would call men are going to hate hearing this term, but, but I've got couples that have done kind of a sex fast that have pornography issues. Yeah. And I have couples that have done that, that don't have any pornography issues. Yeah. They still have a scorched earth yeah. because of how they started their relationship yep. and how entitled they felt and all of those things. So this is, I kind of want particularly those Dear wives that are struggling right now listening to this, to understand that there is a lot of pain there and that they are, it's like a double whammy, but they are not that different than a lot of women who just have kind of been treated not appropriately in the sexual realm, even outside of pornography issues. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. So listeners, if you're listening to Laura and you're just like, oh, she doesn't really get the plight of a betrayed person. Trust me. Like she really does. Like I'm listening to you talk about this, Laura, and you're just like, yeah whether it's pornography or just somebody who came in with a ton of sexual entitlement and just like yep. burned the ground of their marriage. Yep. Totally. It's all betrayal and it damages yep. that delicate bond that especially in a new marriage and we got to slow down and there's tons and tons of permission and room for any of you women that are are dealing with, you know, or if you're a man and your your spouse has totally betrayed you sexually as well, like there's room mm-hmm. for you to heal and to come back into relationship. Yeah. And then we can add sex with that because it yeah, becomes Jeff, that extension, right? Yeah. And Jeff, just real quick too, I would just say, I really have, it sounds weird to say it, but I almost have a real testimony of going through something as painfully difficult as sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma, because I see so many couples that are able to find God, find themselves, find wholeness, mm-hmm. find a marriage that they never even thought possible but they, it's killer hard. It nearly kills you doing the work. But those that do it and get to this good place, they do look back. They can look back and say, I don't know that I would sign up for that again, but I'm grateful for who I am now and who I've become and what we have now. 100%. I see that happen also. And good. that's the hope I give people when they come in and ask if this can get better. I'm like, yeah, but there's a price to yeah. pay. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. Number 15. 15. I love this one. This is passion is the healthy version and unhealthy is lust. Yep. I struggle so much when people try to feed me this thing about 
lust being a positive. So I'm just like, if you do any kind of research in the Bible about lust, it is never used in a positive term. And so passion is this energetic, ardent enthusiasm. I love that term. Desire or love for one's spouse sexually. Okay, that's what passion is. We are not talking boring, solemn, somber sex <laughs> no right. at all. We're not. We don't right. have to. Lust, though, is objectifying, self-serving, carnal fervor, or appetite for the physical experience alone. There's also a desensitization in there where you need more and more. So when we talk about addicted to lust, that is a legitimate, great way to understand it. But we are not talking about you can't have passion in a sexually whole, in a sextraordinary marriage, because that is exactly a good description of what that is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's the difference between giving and taking. I mean, lust is all about consuming. Passion yeah. is giving, building. It's expansive. And Sharing. It's, yeah. And it's just creative and no two couples are going to look the same. Fine. Yep. Yeah. You got Just whatever. You yeah. Got I love it. 16. Okay. 16 is personal, very person-specific focused. Your desires are only directed towards your spouse and learning and applying spouse-specific preferences and techniques, not something you learned anywhere else. Even in my books, I say, even in my books, you still have to take it and figure out, okay, husband, Kevin is my husband. What exactly do you like? And Kevin says to Laura, what exactly do you like? I think that women, I've heard that they like this, but what's true for you? Right. The unhealthy version is objectifying. Any partner will do, you're assuming or expecting or demanding yourself or your spouse to be like any kind of the media, movies romantic novels, pornography, other stereotypes. It's dehumanizing. So objectifying is kind of our go-to term when we talk about unhealthy sexuality. But obviously, it's so much more than that. That's just one of 20. So we want personal sex, not impersonal or objectified sex. Right. And yeah, there's a person in front of you who's not you and 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 she or he's not everybody else. Yep. So ask some good questions. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Number 17. 17. Again, our purpose is to connect and express love versus the unhealthy is the purpose is to self-medicate, self-soothe or escape or mood alter. I had a client just a month ago and he's like, you know, they were just, she was, he was making her have sex every single night. Why? Because he says, I can't sleep if we don't. And I said, do you recognize that you might be using sex as a sleep aid? And I just kind of left it, let it just dangle there. But he came back a couple of weeks later and he's like, Laura, I've been using my wife as a sex aid. And I've, I just feel horrible as a sleep aid. And I was just, and I, I never even realized that. And so that's what we're talking about. It cannot be a self-medicating thing. His wife is so happy that she can even begin to think about connecting genuinely and freely because she's not just kind of being forced into it because he needs to sleep. Oh man, that's great. Can you imagine? Right. Like if the goal, like you said earlier, if, if the goal is connection, then it doesn't matter if you have an orgasm or not. Right. It's because you've connected. And so you've basically right. got the, you know, you've got the prize. <laughs> right. You gotcha. So true. I love it. Okay. So 18, relational, interpersonal relationship. You're an intimate team. I love this. People forget that sex yeah. is a team sport. Mm-hmm. Sex is a team sport. So, and it, so when it's relational, then your spouse is a high priority. So again, this is, this is good news for for husbands, because we're also teaching women to be attentive and respectful of how men feel about sex, not just all about our lower desire opinions. You know what I mean? And then the, the unhealthy version is autonomous. So sex is done in isolation, in secret, 
It's a relationship weakening experience. Spouse rarely or spouse rarely makes it to the top of the other person's to-do list. So again, we've got room for both of us to see some healthy or unhealthy on either side of that. And so when you're saying that, you know, prioritizing, I, th- I don't remember the, how, how you phrase it, but it's basically like, if you're always playing to the lower desire spouse, maybe is right. the best way to put it, then it's yeah, not relational, right. right? No, no, not right. And that's what I had. Jeff, that's the work I had to do. That's my story. It's just, I had a husband who really liked sex and thought that was the best way to feel loved. And I'm just like, so I reach a point where it's like, okay, so am I going to, I thought I was gr- fine with it until I get into it. And it's like, it's a lot more complicated than you expect. Right. And it's like, okay, am I going to figure this out? Or am I going to have kind of a constant resistant sexual eh, angst in our marriage? And so I picked up the task of learning and developing all of the things that I'm teaching everyone else to do. I've been there and I've done it. And my husband, thankfully, did the work that I'm trying to get husbands to do to create the context in which a wife can step into owning and embracing her sexuality. Right. So, you know, both people are working hard to create not only conditions, but also respect and space and room. And like, there's just so much that both are doing. Like you said, it's a team sport for both people to bring something to this instead of just one person being passive and letting the other person just do all the work. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's a recipe for disaster. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Number 19 here is just kind of, we've talked a little bit about this again, but we're looking at what the result of our sexual connecting is. For the healthy version, the result is connection. It's enhanced self-esteem. It's enhanced self-respect. The unhealthy version, it results in disconnection, guilt, shame, regret, emptiness, and despair. And so you just think about whatever it is you're doing in that lovemaking This is a really important guide to say, okay, what do we come out of this with? Do I feel connected? Was that duty sex? And I'm now I'm just ticked and, or was it connected sex and that it was for both of us and we feel more connected. And really paying attention to how that feels during and certainly after and acting on it. Right. And so not, not ignoring that and just saying like, well, he needs to sleep or that's just what women do, or I guess that's the best it can be or whatever, but really just saying, no, this isn't working for me, or this, we need to do something different, or I need this, or more of that, less of this, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that, like really paying attention to how it feels. Right, right. And even just one little example, this Uh would be something like when I say to my husband, I'm like, honey, you cannot fall asleep right after. I'm still in a higher state. You know, my, my cool down, a woman's cool down is slower than a man's cool down. And so that's where that afterglow becomes important. So a wife might speak up and say, you need to stay present. You need to stay awake for a little bit because I'm still in connection zone. Don't abandon me right now. So that's another piece of how we do connected sex well. Right. And that requires tremendous courage and willingness to speak up and not just read minds or just assume that somehow, well, it works for them. So I guess we'll just do it that way. And then resentment sets in. Right. Yeah, I love that. So that's a great one. Okay, number 20. This last one is probably my favorite. I mean, the healthy sexuality is a spiritual experience. It's a symbol of oneness and the spirit can be present. I mean, that's a really weird concept for a lot of couples. But think about it. God is the one that created sex in the first place. He's the one that designed the whole thing. And so this... Is healthy sexuality is can be a spiritual experience. And that doesn't mean it has to be somber and solemn at all. 
But the unhealthy version is it's a secular counterfeit. It's a, just a counterfeit of God's designs for sex. And often the spirit is not able to be present. But again, that takes a lot of brain finagling to get people, both men and women, to the point where they can even grasp. This was a big work for me to grasp this wonderland of arousal, which is a totally different state of being than any woman, anybody lives in. You know, women, men live a little closer to it than women do. But to connect that state of being with a godliness, that's a real mind shift for women and men, but especially women. But understanding the godliness of this sexual experience is kind of the crowning jewel on this whole the whole concept of sexual wholeness. Yeah, that's so true. And two thoughts on this. Like one is that, you know, we, we're talking so much more thankfully in the church about heavenly parents and the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, the, the feminine divine, that, that there's a female deity and that we have a heavenly mother and that women yeah. are created in her image, their bodies, all their sexual parts, everything that is like designed by the gods, right? By heavenly mother, yeah. heavenly father, that this union, this experience, this sexuality, that it is, it is absolutely good and necessary for our joy and happiness. Like it is built in from go. And yeah. there's nothing to be ashamed of with any part of it, even though it's been soiled and dirtied and twisted and distorted yeah. in, in our world which brings so much unhappiness. But just because there's been trauma and horrible experience, it doesn't mean that it's broken or wrong. Right, right. And I think we have to be really careful to not allow those experiences to contaminate the purity of what this really is and where it comes from yeah. and what it yeah. really means. Yeah, Jeff, and just a one thought too. I think Satan has done such a fabulous job of destroying this very sacred and huge dimension of marriage. Yeah. And I talk about to my clients sometimes and I say, you know, Satan may not have been able to get you, you particular, I'm thinking, speaking to a wife in any other way, but to have this, you know, kind of sexual dimension be such, you know, and for men, I mean, you know, they might not have been able to get him any other way, but messing with the sexual relationship, boy, Satan is just, he kind of owns this territory, which really ticks me off. And it's why I am so passionate about what I do. What I do is just, we need to restore God's light back to this subject. And that can happen for any of us, even if there's been this addiction and pornography and betrayal trauma, it can all be healed with Christ. And this is why one of the things I teach is we've got to be married to Christ first before you can even remotely be married well to your spouse, because God becomes that buffer between all the pain, all the hurt, all the trauma, all the just disinformation about sex. And so this is where God comes in. And I think I can see what God was doing now with this. I used to have a lot of questions for him about sex, but I can see that he really understood that this dimension more than any other can really bring people to Christ in a really profound way and having to restore and bringing that light back into this sexual dimension of the marriage. Yeah. When it's protected, when it's, when it's healing, when there's honesty, integrity, respect, right? All these things are in place. You're not going to experience But even God it. can do those, right. Jeff, even if they're not in place, it's Christ that can come in and heal all that and, and compensate for that and make up for all that. Right. It's it, not like to get there first, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. No, I, I yeah, I definitely understand that. Like that this is, that this is the restoration. This is the healing. It, it reminds me of Wendy Ulrich, who I had on the podcast some time ago. Yeah. She, we talked about forgiveness and in her book, The Temple Experience, she talks about how when we surrender our you know, the person who injured us, 
right. whether that's through sexual abuse or trauma or a, you know addiction in your marriage or whatever, we surrender that person to God and let God deal with them in ter- terms of right. whatever. Then we turn to the Savior and ask Him to restore to us what the other person can never replace right. and fix. Right. Right. And that could right. be about attitudes about sex, about our own bodies, about mm-hmm. all these things that get so damaged and distorted. There has to be a way to restore that because it gets so sideways living on this earth. Yeah. Before yeah. we even are aware of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you got it. And it reminds me of uh, Elder James Rasbin's talk in the last April conference. He talks exactly about this, where the atonement can, can undo the damage. So if I'm a husband with a pornography addiction, and I've done a lot of damage to a wife, then that atonement can come in and heal all of that pain that I've caused that I can't fix. And same for a wife. I mean, it can come in and heal that. And and it's like, think about it. How does a wife be genuinely, freely, positively, affirmingly, sexually intimate with a husband that they're still working on trust that you talk so much about so well? And what I see is when God comes in and is that intermediary, then she's actually, it's almost like putting a layer on her makes me cheery, but it's, it's almost like putting a layer of protection over her and that she can then be whole through Christ and then connect with someone who's an imperfect, even kind of painful guy, jerk of a time of a guy sometimes. And that's a powerful concept that I think we haven't quite fully applied in a way we could. Yeah, no, I love that. And I see that as well, which is, it's not something that we generate on our own because Sometimes it would look like, you know, this person has to basically be perfect for me to connect with them. And it's like, no, you connect with Mm -hmm. God, you connect with Christ first, you really build that security and your safety comes through them. I think Elder Maxwell said that our, you know, God is the only safe submission. Only. Submitting to your partner. Yeah. It's, it's not going to go well every time. (laughs) They're human. They're going to, they're going to fail you. Yeah. That is built in. Right. So that, I love that. Christ won't. Yeah. I think that's that's such an important piece of this. And if people are going to have sexual wholeness in their marriages and leave God out of it, then they're basically just sort of, they're leaving themselves wide open for a lot of disappointment and hurt. And I think that if somebody's like coming off of a, a major betrayal or has lived right. with this their whole life, and they kind of get to this point, this sort of, I think of it like this sort of the end of the road or, or, or a, an article Wally Goddard wrote years ago in Meridian Magazine. He, mm-hmm. he called marriage and the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah. It's like, you come up to the edge of the Red Sea metaphorically in your marriage and you're like, I don't know how we're going to go any further, right? Let's say, for example, in this context, I don't like sex. You betrayed me with sex, whatever. Like, right. so what do we do? We're sitting here and there's pressure behind us that are, you know, we're, and that's when he says, that's when God can part the sea. And that's not going to happen because two people necessarily figured it out on their own. Right. It's right. a partnership. And, right. and that, that's the miracle. And I've seen it happen so many times in my office where people come back and report on this. And I just stand back and, and just rejoice in that because uh, it's not something I engineered or they engineered. Yep. It's just, that's just the atonement. That's the miracle and that's the good news. Yeah. Well, and Jeff, the other thing too, just real quick is I'm such a huge fan of the concept of differentiation and personal wholeness. Mm-hmm. I, just, I never want any one person coming into my office ever feeling like they're, they're kind of a victim of whatever the other person is doing. That's why Christ becomes that important, just unmeasurable element factor, because me and Christ can become whole, even if a husband chooses not to, or doesn't, you know, 
some of your podcasts where the husband doesn't choose into recovery. Right. You know, we're still looking for wholeness regardless of what happens. But I just want people to also think of it in terms of even if they are trying to get better, but they're imperfectly doing it, that there is wholeness available for me as the betrayed wife, regardless of the speed or quantity or quality of the recovery that my spouse is doing. And I want people to be empowered with that kind of understanding of their own wholeness and power there with with God's help. Absolutely. Yeah. We depend on each other, but we have to also have the flip side of that, which is that we can be okay if the other person just totally face plants and lets us down. Bingo, bingo, (laughs) bingo. So great, Jeff. Laura, you're fantastic. I love talking to you. I wish, you know, we could keep talking like this, but we have to give people a break, you know? So <laughs> No kidding. We got to talk about sex. How fun is that? That's how I start all my podcasts. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, the the stuff you share and then just who you are and what you bring is just such a such a blessing. Thank you so much for all this Thank that you. you're sharing. I'll make sure to load up the show notes with resources and you've done a great job of producing and collecting so many great resources for couples and individuals. And so just thank you for everything you're doing. Yeah. Yes. Really appreciate you. you. It's like, and you probably feel this way too, Jeff, but it's like walking on the sacred ground of people's souls when they work in this kind of work. And so it's, it's, I feel very supported by God in the work that I do to help people reclaim this beautiful gift that God has given. And I, and I, I know people can do it. I know they can with God's help. Awesome. We'll end there. Thank you, Laura. Thanks so much, Josh. Once again, I want to thank Laura for joining me on the Illuminate podcast and sharing all these great resources for healthy sexuality. And if you want to follow Laura, she's active on social media. You can find her at Strengthening Marriage. And she also has two websites. One is strengtheningmarriage.com. And that's where you can find all her books and podcasts and all these resources. Sign up for her newsletter. And then she also has her MaritalIntimacyInstitute.com. So MaritalIntimacyInstitute.com. That is a tongue twister, by the way. And there you will find her client handouts and all the resources available for free. So do not hesitate. Go over there, check them out, download them all, build yourself a library with great information and uh, just hold on tight to her and her resources. She has got some great stuff and she's always putting out good information. So she's one you'll want to stick close to. And again, thank you, Laura. You're fantastic. I really appreciate you and all your energy and your willingness to to keep spreading the love here. You're just doing a great job. And once again, I want to thank all of you, my listeners, for being a part of this podcast, for sharing episodes with other people, for letting others know about this podcast. If you find an episode helpful, share it with someone you love. It's so easy to do and it can make a difference in somebody's life. Please leave a rating on iTunes. I just want people to get this life-changing information. It's blessing my life just as I talk to these great people in these interviews. And if you've made it this far, I'm hoping it's blessing your life as well. So once again, thank you so much for being a part of this. And I'm really excited for my next episode. In fact, in my next episode, it will be my favorite guest of all time and in the future. And you know why I can say that? Because it's my wife. In the next episode, I'm going to have my wife on and her sister. They have just started a brand new podcast called Your Place at the Table. And I'm going to introduce both of them, their podcast, and then their important message, which is to help women learn to find their voices and to share them and to take their rightful place at the table and be able to contribute in meaningful ways. 
So I've loved helping my wife on this project and being a part of it and watching her and her sister develop this. They are just dynamic women, and I just cannot wait to share their stuff with you in the next episode. So stay tuned for that. And once again, thanks everyone, and I'll catch you on the next episode.